0: All right, what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? We got Robert Sykes, KetoSavage.com, and special guest Chris Irvin on the line today. Chris, how you doing, man?
1: Good. Thanks for having me today, Robert.
0: Absolutely. So tell, tell everybody, who are you and what do you do?
1: All right, yeah, so uh, like you said, my name is Chris Irvin. Um, I am uh, the director of content for ketojunk so that's just a fancy word for him. I'm the guy that does a lot of writing and uh, you know making the social media posts and everything like that for the website. My background with keto is, um, you know, when I uh, when I graduated from my undergrad, um, I came down to uh, University of Tampa to get my master's in uh, exercise and nutrition science. Um, and I got to study under uh, Dr. Wilson, who's a you know a big figurehead in the, the keto and sports performance realm. Um, so I, I got to study under him for a year, get my master's, and got to do some really cool keto research in the lab there. Um, and then you know I, I really started getting passionate about. Uh, actually, I kind of tell people the the thing that kind of shifted my focus from uh, sports performance, you know, into some other areas of keto. Um, I picked up the uh, book Tripping Over the Truth um, by Travis Christofferson. And if you guys haven't read that, that's a phenomenal book. Um, But I I picked up that book, started reading about keto and therapeutics, um, got really passionate about it, and uh, was really fortunate enough to get to land um, an opportunity doing some interning with um, Dr. Poff and uh, and Dr. D'Agostino's lab down at USF, which is a really cool opportunity. And then from there, I just you know, decided that it was time to start putting all this stuff out there and trying to educate the world on keto. And that's kind of how, um, you know, the ketogenic
0: thing started to come about. And and how long have you been doing the com now in total?
1: So been working on it for about uh, two year 18 months to two years right now. But we launched the website um, for the first time last November. Um, and if anybody followed us at that point, they saw a really bad version of the website when it first went up. Um, but we've you know, I feel like we've continued to improve and over the last year we've gotten to a point where I, you know, I think everything looks pretty nice and our social game has gotten a lot better. Um so yeah, it's been it's been a little bit over eighteen months so far.
0: Yeah, no, I mean every time I click on y'all stuff, I mean you're killing it. It's good relevant content, it's it's easily digested. I mean it's good stuff that's I mean, you can have it your exposure at your fingertips right there and, and get get a good nugget of information.
1: Yeah, and that's kinda of what we what we wanted to go for. Like you know coming from a little bit of a research background i had so much respect for a lot of these doctors and researchers that are doing all this great stuff on keto but the problem is a lot of that work gets lost in these journals that you know people people either don't have access to or they don't really have the ability to sit down and understand it and that's kind of how this all came about as it was trying to Take that really highly respected quality work and putting it in a way that general population could not only understand it but apply it to their life. So that that's kind of been what the mission's been so far.
0: I like it. I like it. So, what? Uh, tell, tell us a little bit about like your your ketogenic experience. Like, what got you into doing the diet, and how long have you been doing the diet and living that lifestyle? You know, as an individual.
1: Yeah. So I've been doing it for about two and a half years now. Um, I started doing it. It was actually in like June of 2015. And um, I had just come down to the University of Tampa. And my first class was uh, sports nutrition with Dr. Wilson. And uh, day one of sports nutrition, of course, he started talking about keto. And I had heard about keto. um, Probably four months prior, I'd gone to a a conference where I actually heard like Dr. Volick and Dr. D'Agostino talk um, but I didn't even know who they were yet at the time. And, uh, so, you know, I didn't really know much about keto and af- it was actually after that first class with Dr. Wilson that I, uh, I just decided like, you know what, I'm going to do keto and I-, I jumped in the next day. I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I was just eating, you know, bacon and-, and beef and, um, you know, I, I definitely went through some trials and tribulations trying to, you know, get the diet working out for me. I had some keto flu bouts and, you know, dealt with a lot of that stuff. Um, but you know, it took me probably a good, I would say three, four months of really educating myself before I felt like I had it locked down. And now, you know, you know, two, two and a half years later, I feel like it's just been a breeze. Um, You know, my, my biggest reason for doing it is um, I really enjoy the cognitive benefit. Um, You know, even if all other health benefits aside, the, you know, ability to focus and, you know, sit down and read research and, and you know, write and do everything I feel like has been enhanced since I started keto. So
0: that's kind of been my biggest benefit from it. So you've been you've been keto two and a half years now, no no carb interruption in that time?
1: Um so my first year I actually um I spent my first year completely carb free. Um, and then since then, you know, I had something like, you know, if I were to go home um, you know, back back to see my family and stuff. If my mom had some home cooking, you know, I would enjoy that stuff. Um, I've been probably a little more lenient over the last year, um, but you know, that's and that kind of brings up like a big thing. Like, what something I always tell people is that if you, you know, stay really strict with keto when you first start, if you can get yourself to get like six months to a year of really like sticking to it and and you know following the the diet pretty strictly, you can set yourself up to a point where you know. Later on, if you don't have any conditions and you're just doing keto for the general health benefits, you you can get away with you know having you know some carbs here and there. Or if you you know decide you go you know go home and you want to enjoy some of your mom's cookies or something like that, like you can get away with that a little more. Um, but the problem is a lot of people do that the first six months on keto, and if you do that, you never really get fully fat adapted. So the point where you can you know kind of be able to to benefit from both sources. So. Um, yeah I, I think so you know for the most I would say that now it's um I'm, I'm staying pretty strict with it but you know if, if something pops up where you know I'm you know I'm back home or something then I'll let myself have a little
0: freedom I'd love to talk with you about the difference between being in ketosis and being keto adapted or fat adapted because that comes up a lot with uh, you know all of my clients and whatnot but yeah. I mean people assume that as soon as they're their millimolar blood ketones you know are, Meet or or are above 0.5, they're they're good to go. But uh, okay. like I've been adapted for about two and a half, three years now as well, and I tell everybody, you know, my last six months have been better than my first six months, and you'd probably say the same thing. Like your body yeah. just keeps becoming more and more efficient as you go.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's kind of something that that's a big reason why I tell people not to get super worried about tracking their blood ketones when they first start off because. A lot of people will get either too excited or they'll get discouraged based on what they're seeing on that meter, and you know that we can talk about this after. But the meter is not even really a clear indication of what's going on. Um, but you know, a lot of people you can produce ketones in your blood that would be considered in nutritional ketosis. With you know, some people can do that within a day if you if you incorporate some fasting and whatnot. Um, but you know, anybody who's done the diet knows that you know a day, three days a week in. You're definitely not feeling the way you should feel if you were truly fat adapted. Um, so, that, and that's kind of the biggest difference of you know between being in ketosis and being fat adapted. Um, and you know what I always tell people is when you start feeling those benefits of keto, like the increased energy, um, focus, you start feeling like you're you're a lot more full. Um, your cravings have gone away that's when you know that you're you're more keto-adapted because you know that you're utilizing fat better and you are actually using ketones as fuel rather than just producing them. Right. Um, and it's kind of that difference between, you know, being in ketosis can mean just producing ketones, but being keto-adapted means you're using ketones.
0: Absolutely. I think a lot of people have asked me about, you know, that, that keto high that they first experienced during the first month or so and then how that, how that wanes, you know, as they get further in. And I'm not sure that, the high wanes, I just think it's become, it's more relevant that first month because you have like what it was like to eat carbs fresh on your memory and then mm-hmm. as you're in ketosis longer, that that wanes so it, it doesn't seem as a, a stark contrast. Do you know that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's what it ends up happening is it kind of becomes your new norm. Um, like, you know, before when you were, before you were following a keto diet, you know, you probably eat a meal that's heavy in carbs and, you know, you feel probably tired and lethargic after. Um, and you know you, then you, you switch to keto and that first month you start getting like I kind of call it like euphoria. Mm-hmm. Um, you just get this feeling of like you know you just're you just, you're like, almost like eye opening and uh, you, know, you start feeling that, but then you know as you keep doing keto, that becomes your new norm and you know sometimes it takes sitting back and thinking about it and being like you know six months ago i didn 't feel like this, you know even though I'm, I may not notice it as being as robust now um, it wasn 't like this before it 's just that now it 's kind of more continuous and I think that like one of the things that I've noticed too is like when you first start keto, I think what happens is is you you get more like surges of like that euphoria where you know I remember, you know, one time specifically where I was, you know, driving in my car and I had like this feeling that just like took over my body and I was like, whoa, what was that? And I was like and it was when I had like just started, I was probably a month in and like after talking to people were, like, yeah, that's kind of like that euphoria that you get from keto. And, you know, I'll still get that every once in a while. But now it's like it's not a surge. It's kind of like a constant thing. Yeah. Um, And I think really what that's attributed to is, you know, your brain has a high affinity for ketones. So if you're producing them, um, you know, your brain's going to be utilizing them, you know, primarily over, you know, every other tissue in your body. So when that happens, I think that that just kind of becomes the norm for your body.
0: I think it's different for everybody when that when that kicks in, but I, last time we spoke uh I had mentioned that my my blood ketones have become much much lower you know being in mm-hmm. ketosis as long as I have, which is basically just attributed to my body being more efficient at utilizing them and not having them floating in my bloodstream is there like a a time frame that that you notice uh pretty consistently with that happening in people so it's
1: tough because. When you test ketones, like I've noticed this from – you don't know, like during my grad school I was doing a lot of research where we would – people were, we were doing exercise and different food interventions and testing ketones. And the thing is, is like testing your ketones in general really makes a big difference. It makes a difference on when you're doing it. Um, like you may eat like a totally keto-friendly meal and see a drop in ketones immediately after. Like I've seen that in people. Um, so it's kind of hard to, to get a good interpretation of it. But what I start seeing with people is usually in like the three to six month range, you start seeing that like those ketone levels, if you're kind of choosing a consistent time to test them, um, which we can talk about that later too if you want. But um, if you're choosing a consistent time to test them, usually in the three to six month range, I'll see that people's numbers aren't as high as they used to be and they start going down. And you know, for some of like, the clients that I work with, a lot of times they'll kind of freak out about that and they'll be like, you know, I'm not having any carbs, Like, what's going on? I'm sure you kind of see that too with some of your clients. Yeah. And you know, my biggest thing I always tell them is, um, you know, how are you feeling? Like, do you feel like you have good energy? Do you feel full? Like, are you having cravings? And if they say you know, no to all of those things or yes to some of those and no to some of those, then it's like, then what are you worried about? You know, you're, you're definitely in keto, it's just that those numbers aren't the same anymore
0: yeah people get so hung up on on what that little device reads off to them um, yeah so talk about uh, like breath ketones like I'm using that level device right now to measure acetone in the breath. How is the correlation with that like what would be what am I looking for exactly?
1: Yeah, so I've never actually used the breath meter before, but I know that there's at least two published studies out there that show that um the results you get from the breath. Tone meter is is pretty much or they it correlates well with what you get from the blood meter. Um, the only thing that I've seen with it is that, and now it sounds like you might be using a different one than what I'm familiar with. But one of the first breath meters that came out, I, I was getting a lot of feedback from people that interpreting the results was kind of a struggle. Um, but if you like. I, and they maybe they've improved that since then, but if you're able to interpret them, they do say that the results are very comparable with what you see in a, on a blood ketone meter. So I think it kind of just comes to if you're kind of trying to choose which one, I think you probably just look at cost effectiveness is probably what you should look for.
0: Okay, because I'm I'm using, I'm using the level. I know the Ketonics was uh was really big initially. Yeah,
1: Ketonics was the one I know about. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and the level is pretty expensive, but it, it's unique in that it it's uh. It's like all a self-contained laboratory, basically. Like all, everything's contained. There's no margin for error, really. Um, really. So it's pretty. It's pretty fancy, but I don't know. It. I've heard that it's a. It's a better indicator of how many ketones your body's actually using and burning, mm-hmm. as opposed to just what's floating around your bloodstream. So I didn't yeah, know if there was an ideal product, right? Right. So if From I'm the brain. if I'm in theory, if I like test before training and after training, should my parts per million be higher or lower well
1: I mean based on what my like my theory would be that afterward well it's it's tough to say because if I guess if you're doing breath and it's measuring a byproduct of the breakdown then you would assume that it would be higher because you would assume that you're utilizing more Mm -hmm. Um, and you know in in a blood meter you would assume it would be the opposite that you're probably going to, ha- well, in a blood meter, it can be difficult because if you're burning more fat, then you may be also producing more ketones at the same time. Um, that's and that's kind of, you know, something, I guess that's even the same for breath, you know, regardless of what you're measuring, if the, depending on your exercise, if you're burning fat and producing ketones, it kind of depends on your rate of burning versus burning the fat and producing ketones and the burning of the ketones. You know, it's kind of hard to interpret that.
0: It is, it is hard to quantify. I'm, I'm such a data nerd. I just, like, want to get all the numbers at the same time. It's much better yeah. just to focus on how you're feeling and performing.
1: Yeah. It's, you know, I always tell people, too, it's, like, look at your progress. Like, you know, a lot, like, I've, I've had so many clients that get, like, really upset or hung up or stressed out about those numbers. And I was, like, to be honest with you, like, with what we know about cortisol, like, your stress is going to be hurting your level of ketosis yeah. more than anything.
0: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, you know,
1: just listen to how you feel and see how you're progressing and if you're you're getting good progress and stuff then you really shouldn't beat yourself up about those numbers.
0: I completely agree. Do you ever use yeah. like a glucose test?
1: Yeah, so usually when I test, I do like to test um, both at the same time um, just because I'm always curious to see like what my fasting blood glucose is. Um, Mine's never gotten crazy low. Like I still, I still hover around like the the eighty, you know, seventy to eighty range. Like I've I've seen some people dip down into the fifties and sixties in keto, um, but I, I usually do use it. But one of the things that I've been really, you know, intrigued with, like doing self experimentation, is seeing how your blood glucose responds to meals, mm-hmm. um, even like keto friendly meals. Um, you know, there's a lot of people out there that think like you know, if you're eating some of these like keto friendly sweets that are out there um, that you can kind of because of your, your kind of mentally you can almost like force a blood glucose response because you think you're getting something sweet. Um, I haven't seen that in myself but it's kind of been something that I've been testing a lot to see so I, I still like to, to do blood glucose at the same time.
0: And it's, it's I mean it's the cheapest option like it's, uh, you can get, you know, glucose strips for, you know, pennies on the dollar so it's an effective way to see how things respond within yeah, your body
1: thing too, like a lot of people, if they're saying like, you know, wanting to know if they should test ketones all the time and they're worried about the price, sometimes I'll just tell them like, let's look at your glucose because, you know, while there's not a perfect correlation, you know, we know that if your fasting blood glucose is 120, then you're probably not in ketosis. So, you know, trying to, you know, find a cheaper way to monitor how you're doing on the ketogenic diet, you know, testing blood glucose is just as good.
0: Yeah, I completely agree. So anything below... What's like a just a good general rule anything below 100 is pretty solid? Yeah, I mean below 100 I would say is in like the,
1: the moderate range but what I've seen um, usually like 80, 80, and below is what I've seen to be good for fast, now that's fasting so waking up in the morning. Um, I think the best time to test glucose and ketones is you know in the morning about two hours after you wake um, about a 10 after like a 10 hour fast. Um, that's kind of what we used to do. Anytime we would test ketones in the lab, we would try to have that be the protocol. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that—that's, you know, I would say for like a lot of that, usually in like the 80 to 85 and under is what we look for. Um, but it—that also depends on how long somebody's been keto for. Like if you're new to keto and you're super insulin resistant, it might be harder for you to get that fasting blood glucose number down. Um, It may take a little bit longer, but guys like us who've been doing it for like, you know, two, three years, we should probably be more in like the 80, 80 below range. Is that kind of how you are? Where are you at?
0: That's generally where I'm at, except for this month, I'm doing an experiment where I've got a higher protein and I've noticed the higher protein has definitely kicked up my uh, fasting glucose.
1: How, How much has it affected it?
0: So like right now, my macros are 235 protein, 222 fat and like less than 20 grams total carbs a day. And since starting this, my weight's increased, my My glucose was, you know, averaging around 80, and now it's, you know, mid-90s, sometimes it's high as 100, and okay. uh, my ketones have all dropped as well. Okay. Now,
1: do you, um, when are you testing them?
0: First thing in the morning.
1: First thing in the morning, okay. So one thing to to that I always tell people to at least be conscious of is if when you're waking up in the morning and testing... Sometimes cortisol can have a little bit of an, an impact because uh, cortisol, if you have normal circadian rhythms, it should be spiking in the morning. Right. That can have an impact on your, your blood sugar. Um, but so usually I always tell people to wait a couple hours after. But if you were always testing in the morning, then I guess, you know, that's a control. So that doesn't really matter. Um, but, I, I you know, I wonder – the one of the things that i've been wondering with that cuz i've tested a little bit of high protein in myself too but i've never been in a calorie surplus during it i assume you're in a surplus now right yeah i'm in about 3000 calories a day right now okay so i've never done it in a surplus before so i i've kind of wondered cuz you know the research out there on um higher protein uh you know with like gluconeogenesis and everything one of the thing and this would actually be an interesting thing for you to maybe look at if if you could track it is seeing you know some research has shown that maybe acutely having high protein could increase gluconeogenesis um but uh long term what they show is that it actually balances itself out um and so you know what i would be curious to see is like if your blood glucose is higher in the morning on your high protein i wonder what it is at night do you ever test at night
0: sometimes randomly but i've been just trying to test consistently each day um but I mean, sure, I'll, I'll test tonight just just for the heck of it. And and yep. my meals, like this is the first time in years that my uh, you know caloric intake from protein has been higher than uh, my 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 protein ratio is basically higher than my fat ratio, which is crazy. Yeah. Um, my my grams, anyways. So I think like I've experimented with higher protein in the past too, and I'll I'll have like a really you know you know protein dense steak and I'll have really high ketone readings afterwards. But the fat is also you know proportionally just as high Um, yeah so I think that is a huge factor in in it as well because I mean you can have a I think you can have a pretty high bolus of protein but as long as your fat's there to slow the digestion you're going to have a pretty ketogenic effect whereas if you have a you know much higher protein ratio you're not going to have that fat to slow it and it's going to skew your numbers
1: yeah so that's what I was going to ask now do you on this diet that you're doing currently? Do you have more? Um, is is your meals more like lower fat when you have the high protein, or is there still a decent amount of fat in it?
0: I try to make sure that I've got a decent amount of fat because I don't want to have any meal that's just like basically pure protein. But there's yeah. there's been times where like I I just didn't have any more fat in the day, and I would have to have like a predominantly protein based meal. But uh, I noticed when I do that, my numbers the next morning are always worse. Um, so yeah. yeah, I think I think having having you know ample fat in the diet is key. <laughs> dad
1: do you do uh this is something i always like asking people too especially people that train like yourself um do
0: you use protein shakes at all no i i don't ever when i when i have the lower uh protein ratio i have been lately i've been using that ancient nutrition bone broth protein just simply to to i mean because there's days where like i need 20 grams of protein and no fat and that's like just a, a quick easy way to go for it but i don't like using the protein patterns i mean they're they're that, that one's a good one. The bone broth one's a good one, but there's still so much, like, sweetener in there, and my yeah. palate has changed so much since keto, like, I don't like it. I don't like the sweetness.
1: Yeah, I've noticed that, too. Like, I'll, you know, some days if, like, you know, if I train or something and it's, I know it's going to be a long time before I eat and I, I kind of want a snack, I might grab a quick protein shake. But, yeah, same thing. Like, now they taste so much sweeter because, you know, compared to before, like, I don't have a sweet tooth really at all so like even like mildly sweet things are enough for me and anything overly sweet, it's, it's almost too much.
0: Yeah, I've always recommended, you know, because everybody has protein shakes that's been around forever, you know, yeah. so I've always recommended that if you have protein shake, try and have only half a scoop at a time and then mm-hmm. try and, you know, even that ratio out by adding some MCT oil or some kind of fat source that it's not just a pure bolus of protein.
1: Yeah. And one of the things too, during uh, my grad school, we did a little bit of research with it and we actually were testing like different types of protein. And uh, we actually found that egg protein was a little bit, was slightly more keto friendly um, than than, like whey and casein. So, uh, yeah. And and I I totally agree with with putting things like whenever I would do protein shakes, I would like to do like some heavy cream, coconut oil, MCT powder, something like that. Um, So the only problem is egg protein it's not the best tasting one. one. Um, you know, it's it's just not as good as whey. But, you know, for somebody who, if they're looking to do protein and they want to, you know, make sure they're staying keto friendly and also maybe trying to avoid dairy, I know that's a big a big kind of phase right now if people are trying to phase out dairy, um, egg protein might be a good thing to consider.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm just eating a ton of, you know, eggs right now. In general, I eat about <laughs> anywhere from like 10 to 20 eggs a day right now. It's crazy. Yeah. Do you? You know,
1: um, always, I've been wondering. Like, do you have? Have you had any problems? Because I'm, I'm the same way. Like, I eat a lot of. That's probably my primary food. that I eat is eggs. Um, have you developed any sort of like intolerance or anything to having so many?
0: No, not that I can tell. I mean, like, my go-to meal right now is I'll, I'll cook like two burger patties or two sausages or something in the cast iron skillet, and I'll just crack you know ten eggs in there at a time and scramble it, and that's just yeah. like a lot of volume, and it mm-hmm. works really well with the ratios I'm trying to hit right now. So it's just easy. Um, yeah. but yeah, I haven't noticed any intolerance whatsoever.
1: Yeah. That's a question that I get a lot. Cause like, you know, I'm the same way, like I'll, cause you know, eggs are almost the easiest thing if you're, like you said, trying to balance out your ratios, you know, it's a good way that if you have maybe a little bit of a leaner source of meat or something, you can throw some eggs in there to, to get your fat up and whatnot. Um, but I, you know, so I've been for the last two and a half years eating like at least, you know, six to 10 a day. Um, and people always ask me that question. I haven't experienced it either, but I've, I've heard some people report that. So I was just curious if you have experienced anything with it.
0: No, no, I haven't. What about, what about dairy? Um, so you mentioned earlier people trying to phase out dairy. What, what is, I'd like to get your take on it. But from what I've experienced as far is like, if you have an intolerance to dairy, it's going to be minimized on keto. Like I think if you have dairy and carbs and fat, those negative impacts are, Amplified, but I think going okay. keto they're minimized, but obviously still some people would benefit from removing it. Do you think everybody has a, a dairy intolerance in some form or fashion, or can some people totally get away with it?
1: That's a great question. Um, you know, the thing is, is like the biggest thing with dairy and like lactose specifically is like if you go overboard on dairy, you're gonna be getting lactose in there and you're gonna be getting sugar. So if you're gonna use it, I think moderation is key. Um, you know, a lot of people report, uh, you know, experiencing, experiencing like inflammation and stuff while using a lot of dairy. But one of the biggest things about a ketogenic diet is it reduces inflammation. So, just like you said, I think dairy on a ketogenic diet is going to be a lot better than dairy on a high carb diet, um, where you're probably already experiencing inflammation regardless of the dairy. Um, what I always tell people is, especially if you're new, new to keto, don't cut out dairy because. That's just going to restrict yourself more, and, and probably it's going to lead to you failing more, or you know, lead to a better chance of you falling off the diet. But if you you know start to to see a plateau, or you start to you know hit that spot where like you know I'm not seeing any more progress, it might be worth it to look into dairy and taking it away. But like for me personally, I've been doing keto for two years, and I haven't felt the need. You know, I've never ate a ton of dairy, but I've never felt the need to completely remove it from my diet. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of people like I know like Leanne Vogel. Um is really big on, on, on keeping dairy out. And she says, you know, she feels so much better when she doesn't do it. I think it's just kind of one of those things where it's really specific to the person. Um, and that's, you know, the biggest thing, like I always talk sustainability. Um, if, you know, having dairy in your ketogenic diet is going to make you, you know, 1% less healthy, but it's going to give you an 80% better chance of staying on the diet, I would rather you have dairy and stay on the diet. Um, but if you're trying to optimize the diet, then, you know, maybe it's worth taking a look at cutting it out.
0: Yeah. And I don't know, I'm I'm incredibly insulin sensitive. Like I I perform fine with carbs when I ate them. So I think the the sugars that I'm getting from the lactose, like my body is able to settle those through pretty effectively. And that's probably why I'm not getting near the negative feedback from it.
1: Yeah. And that, that's a good point too, is you know, why self-experimentation, knowing your body is so important. Like I'm the same way. So I, I played basketball in college and everything. So I've, you know, always had a pretty good metabolism. I've always been really active and everything. So you know, I've I can handle you know carbohydrates pretty well too. So for me, a serving of cheese or two servings of cheese, the minimal amount of carbs that's in there is, is probably not going to affect me. And I've kind of tested this myself. Like I can get my carbs up a decent decent level and still stay in ketosis. But somebody else who you know they're coming to the ketogenic diet and they're maybe obese or they're experience you know they have diabetes or they're very insulin resistant. They might not be able to handle those things. And for people like that, it might be better to cut out um, dairy. But like, you know, usually on keto, the big conversation with dairy is cheese. There's actually a lot of pretty good alternatives to it. Like they actually have almond cheese now, which is pretty decent. So you can actually cut those things out and not really, you know, miss out on too much.
0: And, and of the cheeses, because I, I love cheese, man. <laughs> Sometimes, I mean, cheese is great because it's like if you get a super hard like Parmesan cheese, you yeah. know, it's part, The harder the cheese, the less lactose, right?
1: Yeah, so the harder, and the, I've also heard the longer that it's aged, too. Right. So if it's been aged longer, there's less lactose in
0: it. And I mean, you can get like a, a really aged, hard, you know, Parmesan or something like that, and you don't even need to really keep it refrigerated. You can yeah. just like take that with you. So it's like a really good go-to, you know, traveling food option. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, like, I, I just really like cheese, but uh, yeah. I yeah. think I think the butter also doesn't have very much lactose, so you know harder cheeses and butters people can get away with that with I think much minimal effect. The I've also been trying to steer clear of the, the uh, shredded cheese because they oftentimes put that anti-caking agent on there, which yep. is gonna you know potentially spike your insulin levels.
1: yeah, and that that's a big thing too is like if you're looking at it, you really have to look at the ingredients like because people always ask like what source of cheese is the best and it really depends on where you're getting it from like you know, there's a lot of cheeses, a lot of people that put fillers in their cheese, a lot of people that, you know, if you're getting, like, low-fat cheese, usually anything that's low-fat means that they've probably incorporated carbohydrates into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, that's why it's important to always look at, you know, the label on stuff and see what you're getting. Um, and and like, like you said, you know, the harder cheeses and the and the, the longer they've been aged for, those are going to be your best options
0: on keto. Very cool. What, what other kind of... Um... I don't know, what are some of your go-to meal options, I guess? Because there's it's a lot of people when they first start the diet, they just, they just feel really limited, but that's far from the truth. And I mean, you can make a recipe for anything, but I mean, what are some of the lesser known food items that you go to?
1: Yeah, so I actually, um, so, you know, kind of my normal protocol is I fast about 16 hours a day. Um, I do that strictly for the cognitive benefit of it. I get the majority of my work done in the morning, so I like fasting during that time. Um, but my, you know, my go to normal meals is I really like eggs and bacon. Obviously I have not gotten sick of that. Um, and I really like Cobb salads, like Cobb salad is my go to cause it's like the most keto friendly salad there is. It's got, you know, egg, bacon, you know, there's chicken in it, blue cheese, um, you know, dressing all of that. But, you know, some of the lesser-known ones that a lot of people don't usually talk about, um, any, well, it used to be popular a few years ago when Dr. Diagostino brought it up, but, like, sardines are, like, one of my favorite foods. Mm-hmm. Um, I really enjoy, it. like, it's, you know, a lot of people are kind of turned off to them, but I really like sardines. Um, there's a lot of health benefits to them, and, you know, most times they're with what they're packed in, there's a lot of sodium with them. So being somebody that is pretty active and plays, you know, basketball a few times a week, like, getting that extra sodium is pretty good. Um, so, you know, I really like sardines, um, and then, you know, cooking wise stuff that my big thing right now, um, and you know, we just talked about cheese, so that kind of brings it up a fathead dough is, and we've talked about this in the past, but like yeah. fathead head those are like my go-to right now.
0: Yeah. Those are, those are hard to beat for sure. Yeah. Very hard so, to beat. Um, yeah, speaking like- on sardines, man, I, I, I get those wild planet sardines yes. and, uh, I, I just totally on a whim, I, I added almond butter to the sardines. Like I'd open up the can and add almond butter to it. And that right. like really made the, the ratios perfect because by themselves they have a higher protein ratio. Yeah, they um, do. But like two tablespoons of almond butter, you would think that would be really weird but like the salt with the almond butter like combines with the olive oil and it just makes it delicious.
1: I'm going to have to try that right away because one of the big things that I do and I'll post it on my personal account sometimes and I'll, like I'll put it on my store and people always like ask me what the heck I'm doing but um, I put almond butter on eggs. Uh, yeah. that's a big thing that I do too and it, it, like so I, it's the kind of that uh sweet salty con- mm-hmm. you know combination going on I'm gonna definitely have to try that for sardines that sounds really good
0: yeah and like those uh the f-bomb packets you ever eat those yeah those the macadamia are butter. yeah like I'll have a, a can of sardines I'll have one of those in my bag and I mean they're both portable so you could just take that you you have a perfect keto ratio right there on the go mm-hmm. it's hard to beat
1: yeah, I, I, F-Bomb's really good. I had some of their stuff when I was out at uh, KetoCon this last year. That was kind of the first time I got to try them. There's, their stuff's great. but th- And that's kind of the big thing with like what Keto's doing right now. Like, There's so many of these awesome on-the-go options for people. Like, There's really no excuse anymore for you know failing on Keto when you travel and stuff because there's so many options like that available.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Um, yeah. So let's talk about uh, – well, I was actually going to ask you something else about food. What was it? I don't remember. I don't remember. Anyways, we'll come back to that. Um, I really like to dive into to supplements because okay. I want to get behind the, the science of it, but I want to preface this conversation with I think you and I are both in agreement that nutrition is far and above supplementation. People mm-hmm. oftentimes get that backwards, but uh, yeah. I think we can both agree on that.
1: Yeah, no, that's, that's the biggest thing with um, in any diet, but especially in keto. Every a supplement should be what, exactly what it is. It should be a supplement to your diet, um, and it should be. You know, there's certain supplements that can help. You know, get you to the point where you have a well-formulated ketogenic diet. But if you don't have the nutrition down path then you know any supplement that you're looking at, it's not going to matter.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I know, like branched amino acids are super hot right now. There's been a lot of research coming out that they are effective. There's some research coming out that they're not effective. Like, well, what is your, what is your take on on branch chains?
1: Yeah, so, well, I guess, you know, the two takes are, you know, uh, the question of are they effective, aren't they? And then, you know, for keto, what's the deal with them? Um, the research seems to be, you know, I've, I know recently there's there's been more coming out about them maybe saying that they're not as, as beneficial, but I know that, you know, when I was going through grad school and stuff, there was a ton of research out there showing how, you know, taking, making sure that you have enough leucine to hit the, the, the threshold to stimulate muscle protein synthesis is beneficial. Um, and, you know, a lot of people claim that, you know, having branched chain amino acids before your workout can, you know, help give you a lot of energy. So I think that, you know, I do think that they're an effective supplement for people to take. The question becomes, what about on keto? Um, because, you know, leucine is, it's a ketogenic and a glucogenic, um, amino acid. So that means it can be converted to ketones or glucose. So a lot of people wonder like, you know, will I get kicked out of keto taking BCAAs, um, one of the, the biggest things that I always tell people is that there's actually been some research out showing that if you take um, leucine before workout, the workout can actually blunt the insulin response that could maybe come from from taking leucine or BCAAs. So um, I always tell people if you're going to do BCAAs on a ketogenic diet, you probably want to keep them either pre-workout or
0: intra-workout when you use them. What about, um, would you recommend having like a branch chain or just getting like a pure grade leucine?
1: I would say branch chain. Um, Now I'm kind of drawing a blank on it because I've been out of it for a little while, but I know there was some research at one point talking about how like the, I thought it was about how the other, um, the other amino acids can help with like the uptake of the leucine or something like that. But there's also a lot of benefits to the other one. Um, So, you know, I think that, you know, having both in the BCA or having all three in the BCA mix is probably most beneficial, but I wouldn't consider myself to be like
0: the expert on that. I know a lot of the, the pre-workouts have like beta alanine in there, but mm-hmm. that's much more glucogenic glucogenic than the ketogenic. So I try and steer clear of alanine like as a standalone supplement.
1: Yeah. And you know, the other thing too is like with beta alanine is a lot of like, you know, this is kind of another conversation, but a lot of products, they actually, they, they sometimes they'll fairy dust the, the beta alanine. They'll put like a ton of niacin in it just to like make you get that feeling, mm-hmm. um, I'm actually just not a big fan of beta alanine myself. My body doesn't respond well to it, Um, but I've I've actually never tested my ketones afterwards to see if there's any impact. Have you tested at all when taking it?
0: I haven't taken a large enough dose standalone to be able to really get an accurate control and baseline. Um, That would be interesting to do that. I should do that.
1: Yeah, I'd be curious about that because I know there's a lot of research out there about showing how even acutely it can really increase your strength. Um, and you know, I've in the past, whenever I've taken it, I've experienced that, but I, I'm not a big fan of the way that I feel on it. I don't really like the, the tingly feel of the face and everything that you get from taking it. Um, but yeah, I'd be curious to see like what the glucose response is on that. Cause you know, you're still taking it. And, uh, you know, if you consider, you know, a, I think the dose for it is maybe, is it three grams maybe or a gram and a half? Something yeah, like that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Three grams, three grams is six grams. It kind of varies depending on what supplement you're using.
1: Yeah, so like I, I would be curious to know if three grams of it, you know, would be enough to kick you out. I think that'd be a good thing to test.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I'll put that on my to-do list. Yeah, um, there you go. What about uh, what about like vitamin D3? There's been a lot of, uh, I think Rhonda Patrick came out with a study that indicated you need a lot more than is, is generally recommended.
1: Yeah, and that's especially true. I think vitamin, D, vitamin D3 is something that I've taken for the last probably four years um, and that's especially true for people who live in like, I live in Florida now, so I get a little more access to sun than a lot of people. But, you know, if you're, you know, living up in like, I'm, I'm originally from the Midwest and, you know, you are, you go up there and you talk about, you know, being dark and gloomy for four to six months out of the year. Um, you know, that can lead to a lot of like seasonal depression disorders and, and have like, you know, there's even a lot of stuff with like, you know, having low vitamin D and testosterone and stuff like that. So um, I'm a big fan of vitamin D. It's, um, it's kind of one of those ones like, it's funny when you look up, um, you know, vitamin or you look up supplements to take on a ketogenic diet, vitamin D always pops up and people always kind of wonder why. And it's just because if you're trying to optimize your diet, and your health, regardless of what diet you're on, you should be taking vitamin D.
0: What, what is a good, uh, like right now I think I'm taking one to two, 5,000 IU pills a day. What, what is a good number to shoot for?
1: Um, that's a good question. You know, I don't know if I know the actual efficacious dose, um, for vitamin D. I know that most like the supplement that I take, it comes in, uh, it's a 5,000 IU, um, pill, but I don't like, I don't worry about it too much because I'm getting, you know, a decent amount of sun down here in Florida. So I've never had to worry about, you know, making sure that I'm getting enough. Um, I would have to check that out. I'm not sure what the efficacious dose is for that.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting that, that, um, I don't know. My supplementation has been cut down, but like right now I'm trying to just get like a good vitamin D. Um, I've been pretty lax with my branching. Let's probably pick that up a little bit more. And then I Mm -hmm. I take, I've been pretty lax with my creatine monohydrate too. I should probably be more consistent with that. But, uh, I mean, honestly, man, like my, my supplementation is pretty minimal with keto.
1: Have you, uh, have you dove into adaptogens at all? No. Yeah. So like, I'm sure you've heard of, have you heard of like ashwagandha and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, I've, I've heard of it, I've, and I've kind of, like, I've tried stuff that has some of it in there, but I've never taken, like, ashwagandha as a standalone.
1: Yeah, so that's the two um, the two biggest, like, well, I, I would say, because, you know, before, I, my supplementation was always centered around, um, you know, like, like, I still take creatine. Um, I don't really usually do BCAAs, but it was always, like, you know, pre-workouts and all that kind of stuff. Now, I take a lot of stuff that's, you know, it also, not only does it improve, like, sports performance, but it also has a lot of benefits to health. And um, like ashwagandha is actually my, like one of my favorite supplements that I take. Um, so it's like it's an adaptogen. That um, adaptogens basically like if you look at their benefits, it's a really long list because they can you know what an adaptogen does is it comes in and like it sounds, it adapts to your body. Um, so it kind of finds where you need where something is off and where it can like provide benefit, and it does that um so it's actually like it's been studied extensively for like people that are dealing with like stress and anxiety um but there's also a lot of stuff on it improving sleep um it's but there's a lot of stuff on it increasing like testosterone levels and improving athletic performance um so that's a big one that i take and then another adaptogen that i take is uh rhodiola rosea yeah um so those are the two big ones that i I take those every single day
0: i've taken rhodiola before and i like that a lot like it's a cause I, I tried to phase off of caffeine for a while, and I would try and yeah. get something like that 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 stimulates you know my my mental clarity and energy without having the caffeine load um and rodeo like I could tell pretty effective it uh, was pretty effective what what because uh, I mean some of those like are much higher quality than others. What would be a good recommendation for like an ashwagandha and a rodeo supplement
1: so the the two um the two ben- like the best ashwagandhas the best ashwagandas out there, I think are the it's sensorial ashwagandha, and then KSM-66, so KSM-66 is the only one that I've taken, but it's, um, if you see anything and it has KSM-66, it means that it has the right percentage of the extracts from the ashwagandha plant, because ashwagandha is a plant, um, so it has the the right percentage of that. I, off the top of my head, I don't know what those percentages are, but if you see KSM-66, that means that it has those percentages. Um, so that, that's the, and and a lot of times you won't see that, like sometimes they'll just have the straight plant extract. And if you do, if you just take that, you're not going to be getting enough of, of the beneficial parts of the, of ashwagandha. Um, so I've, I've also heard a lot of good people talk about, um, like one of my good friends, uh, Sean Wells talks a lot about like sensorial ashwagandha as well. Um, I've never taken it, but I can definitely attest to the KSM 66 as being
0: pretty awesome. I'll check that out for sure. I really like like the, the cognitive enhancement, um, you know, neuro supplements. Like uh, I use – like mushrooms are really hot right now. There's a lot of benefits coming out from mushrooms. So I'll try like the cordyceps, the, uh, you know, lion's mane, um, the chaga, like those uh, – the Four Sigmatic coffee. Have yeah. you tried that before?
1: Yeah, so I tried Four Sigmatic coffee like probably – it was It was actually about a year ago because I was trying to wean off my caffeine too. And I think if I'm not mistaken, there's only like 40 milligrams or something like that. Yeah, something really minimal. Yeah, so I was, you know, when I was going through grad school, I was I was taking a lot of caffeine to get through the day and everything. And um, when I, I switched to that and I was, like, in, totally impressed with how I felt on it, um, and that really got me into it. And so I've, I've taken the Cordyceps, Chaga, and then the Lion's Mane, which I think Lion's Mane is the one that's becoming most popular now um, because it's kind of fallen into that, like, nootropic realm. A lot of people are talking about it. Um, I've never taken it as a standalone, though. I've only taken those um, – I, I Actually, I take that back. So I've taken those in the Four Sigmatic. But also, um, have you heard of um, – I'm drawing a blank on the company now. Um, there's, a, oh, there's a company that – have you seen the company that does the emulsified MCT oil? Uh, uh, on it? No, it's not. On, the, on it has it too. Um, I'm going to have to look it up now because I, I want everybody to know about it. It's pretty good. Um, it's – but basically what they ha- they have a supplement, um, that I came across last year or not last year, but last month that actually has, um, ashwagandha and uh, I think it's cordyceps mushroom in it. And I think it's, um, it's also got, it might even have a rhodiola in it, but it's like a, a really good supplement to take like pre-workout. So I actually just started taking that. Um, and I, I love the, uh, um, the, the benefits that I've seen from that one too. So cordyceps is, it's natural force. That's the company.
0: Natural force. Okay.
1: Yeah. So they they have a couple different products. But, yeah, one of them, they they combine ashwagandha with cordyceps mushroom. And, like, that's not only, like, a boost for your, uh, for, you know, mental clarity and everything, but it also provides a great athletic boost as well.
0: And and describe, like, compare the feeling you get with that versus, like, what you would get from, you know, a 200-milligram caffeine pill or, like, a pre-workout. Um,
1: I think it's a little bit more even keel and, and not as like robust. So, you know, if you, if you take 200 milligrams of caffeine, you're going to kind of get a, a spike where you might, you know, feel great for a a short period of time. And then you're probably going to have a come down. Um, I've never experienced that when taking any of these things. Um, it's, it's more sustainable and it's, you know, it's, it's not like, you know, there's not going to be as much jitters and stuff because it's not as stimulatory as like caffeine is. Um, so those are, um, I like taking those instead of caffeine. Um, but, and actually another, you know, while we're on that topic, another great replacement to caffeine is, have you ever heard of T-crine?
0: I've heard of it. I've not used it. Um, I've been, I've been meaning to try it. Is there a recommendation that you have?
1: Yeah. So I know that there's a, there's a few out there. Um, and there's, there's a couple patented ones. I think, um, T-crine, because theocrine, I think it's pronounced theocrine is the, the supplement but T-crine. Is the one? Um, it's the patented version of one of the formulations, and there's a lot of really good research out there showing that it actually provides similar cognitive and performance benefits as caffeine, but without like the increases in like heart rate, um, without like the you know increase in like blood pressure and all that stuff. Um, and you actually, there's been a lot of research showing that you don't become um, like desensitized to it like you do caffeine, so you don't develop this tolerance to it. Yeah. Um, that's a, if you're trying to wean off of caffeine, I would say that like three of your, I would say my three things, if you're trying to wean off caffeine would probably be like t-crine, um, rhodiola, rosea, and then like any of those like lines, I mean, any of those mushrooms you're talking about.
0: It's crazy. Like, I really like how all these companies are, are kind of moving towards a more holistic, you know, natural, healthy, sustainable, you know, supplement list. You go back and you look like at the supplements in the late 90s and the early 2000s, you read the label, it's just like, man, this is death in a bottle.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they were able to get it. It's regulated a little more now. The only problem that I still see with a lot of supplement companies is, you know, and it, you know, from a business standpoint, like it obviously makes sense. But a lot of times what people do is they just, they take those keywords that people know, like ashwagandha that's really popular right now, or, you know, like citrulline or any of these, like these supplements, ingredients that are popular and They'll put them in there, so to the average person that flips around, they look at the the label, they'll be like, oh, this and this, this and this, in there. But a lot of times they don't put the efficacious dose in, and it's because you know it's it's expensive to to dose things that high. Like a lot of these more natural ingredients, um, like you know if you're doing like alpha GPC or any of that stuff, like those are more expensive than you know creatine, which is like you know pennies to put in something. So. Yeah. A lot of times so, you know, I always tell people like if you're looking to get if you're looking at like, you know, a product, look at what you're trying to get out of it, see what the ingredients are and make sure that there's enough in it before you get it, because if you know, if not, you're just gonna be buying something based on the the keywords that they throw on the label.
0: Exactly. exactly. But but companies
1: are getting better now though, you're right.
0: Yeah, and there's a lot of third party testing companies which you know makes it much much more regulated. Um, yeah. So let's talk about. Uh, we'll just keep on the line of supplements because this this is good. Um, what about MCT powders, MCT oils, and uh, you know you got your you break it down. You got your C6, C8, C10, C12 uh, lauric acid there at the bottom. Um, how how do you use and implement that?
1: Yeah. So the biggest thing is I, I use both. Um, so I use um, MCT. I've actually been using more MCT powder lately than oil, which we can kind of touch on in a second. What to look for with that. Um, but I just like it because now they've actually have some like some fla- like the ballistic um, MCT powder that it's like flavored and everything. So they have some and like Quest has some and, you know, there there's better tasting ones and they can help make your shakes better and everything. Um, but I use MCT and coconut oil separately because there's benefits to each one. Um, coconut oil has a higher percentage of the lauric acid like you were talking, which Lauric acid is isn't technically a, an MCT. It actually kind of falls in that middle ground of an MCT and, and a long chain triglyceride. Um, but what what lauric acid does is it provides a lot of benefit for like antimicrobial, antibacterial,
0: antiviral. Um, and boost your there's immune also immune system, right? What's that? Didn't it help also like boost your immune system and whatnot?
1: Yeah, yeah, actually, yeah, definitely. And there's actually some stuff showing that it can provide a lot of brain benefit. Like Dr. Mary Newport. Um, she has, she's doing a lot of research showing that it can improve like people who are suffering from like Alzheimer's and Parkinson's and stuff like that. Um, so I'll take that for different reasons, but I'll also supplement with like MCT oil or MCT oil powder, um, which, you know, like you said, is more of your C8, your C10. Um, and they even have C6s out there now. Um, but you know, that's going to have a little bit higher concentration of actual MCTs So, you know, that can help give you a little bit more of, like, a a boost in, like, your ketone production. Um, So, and then, you know, even based off of that, they actually have, like, um, you know, C8 specifically, um, which, like, for people who don't know, like, C8 is going to be more ketogenic than C10 because it can be more rapidly converted to ketones. At least that's what's suggested. There's not a ton of research out on it, but there is a little bit. Um, So, yeah, that's, so there's, you know, there's reasons to taking both. Um, I like to incorporate it more in my like – I have like a, a little bit of a shake that I like to make where I'll take like um, – I'll do like bone broth protein – or I'm sorry, collagen protein with like chia seeds, MCT oil powder, and then I'll put like a little bit of coffee in it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's one of my shakes that I make, but that, that's kind of the best way that I like to use it. Um, and then like coconut oil, I really like to put on like my vegetables just to help like flavor those up a little bit. Um, but one of the big things with MCT oil powder, if you're looking at it is when you, when you plate a powder, it's just like a, it's just like a, when you plate MCT oil, it's just like when you do protein, you have to, um, plate it on something to have it turn into a powder. Um, some people actually will use, um, like maltodextrin for their MCT oil powder, which it's going to be in trace amounts in there, but it's not the most keto friendly. So you want to look at like Companies like I know Quest, they they played it on, um, I think, soluble corn fiber, yeah. which is is a lot more keto-friendly than maltodextrin. It's actually very keto-friendly. So if you're using like an MCT oil powder, you want to make sure that you're checking the label to see what like in that small print at the bottom, what other ingredients
0: are included in it. Definitely, definitely. Especially there's there's a bunch coming out and like Quest was one of the first. That's what I used initially. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what uh, perfect keto plates there's on, but I don't even think they have any uh, carbs in that one. Whereas you get some with the soluble corn fiber.
1: Yeah, that's right. I don't, I don't think they have you. I've tried, um, I've, I've tried their MCTO powder. I thought it was really good. Um, I've tried a couple of their stuff actually. And I I think it's great, but, um, I'm not sure exactly what they use in theirs. Quest has kind of been my go-to. Um, I really like that one. And then, you know, the ballistic keto. Now I've been using that a little bit too. I think that that's a pretty good one. So those have kind of been the go-to for me.
0: I like the powders a lot. I I used to use the oils, but after i did four tablespoons at once. I don't use the oils anymore. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah, I've had some accidents with it too. Um, you know, I've I've had I always tell some like one time there's one morning I was heading out to go play basketball and I didn't have a spoon, so I just took a swig out the bottle and, you know, as soon as I did it I realized I took too much and I paid for it later. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but one of the interesting thing that we, we touched on a little bit earlier, one of the interesting things that's coming out with the MCTO now is they actually Um, They have emulsified MCT oil, which blends better with like coffee and in hot products. Mm -hmm. So like the natural force, like I was talking, um, I saw them at Paleo FX and um, I got to try some of their stuff and they actually have a flavored MCT oil um, that emulsifies it. So I think the one I tried was French vanilla. Um, So you could actually put like French vanilla MCT in your coffee and rather than it like sitting on top, like most times when you put MCT oil in your coffee, it actually blends in well with it.
0: I like that. That's that's pretty good. Um, yeah, it's pretty I – like, I liked it a lot. And I mean, shoot, if it tastes good, that's, that's a lot better than just a bland oil flavor for sure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, what what about uh, – we're going to have to segue into – I want to talk about collagen a little bit. So do you – you said you use collagen uh, peptides. Do you like that? Do you, I mean, what are you using it for mostly? Your joints? Uh,
1: yeah, so I like it because, for one, um, I mean, to be honest, one of my biggest reasons for using it is I like to have – a shake in the middle of the day, um, just as kind of like a, you know, keep myself feeling full um, in between meals and stuff like that. And um, I just really like the way that I feel when I take the collagen, but there's a ton of benefits to collagen with like it improving, um, you know, your, your skin health, hair, all of that stuff that I really like. Um, but, you know, previously, at least in my experiences, collagen protein had never tasted very good, um, but now there's there's some pretty good tasting ones out there. Um, so it's kind of more for me, it's something that I, eat. I know that there's a lot of health benefits to it, but I like to use it because, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot more keto friendly than some of the other protein powders.
0: Yeah, for sure. Crystal's been making them like she, she has been making these fat bombs and she'll put the collagen in the fat bomb along with her like branching amino acid powders and everything. So it's all in the fat bomb. And so it's wow. pretty easy and convenient. Yeah. I was, you know, I've actually never cooked with it. How does it, how does it mix or how does
1: it cook compared to like whey? Cause I know like ways easier to cook with them like I think ways easier to cook with than like casein is collagen pretty easy to do stuff with
0: yeah I don't know because I mean with some stuff like whey you you reach a certain temperature and it destroys the 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 whey you know molecules, so you're not really going to get the benefit I don't know right. what the the temperature is with collagen um, but with like the fat bombs it's all just frozen so I would assume that would have oh, you know that'd sure. be fine uh, so yeah, yeah she'll like mix that with like some cream cheese or some almond butter you know, put some of her branched-chain amino acid powders in there, and then, you know, it tastes like a packet of Stevia or Truvia or something. And it tastes fine.
1: That sounds delicious. So is that the sweetener you guys usually use then? You use, like, Stevia?
0: Yeah, we'll get, like, a, a, those little Truvia packets. And I don't really use them that much, but she will. So she'll add, you know, two packets to a coffee or whatever. But it's just a blend of Stevia and erythritol, um, which I haven't had any negative impact from. Some people, I've, I've got a pretty good tolerance, so, like, I can handle sucralose, Really well. Like I've never had any negative, you know, effects from sucralose. Um, I don't do the Ace K or anything like that. But Splenda, uh, erythritol, monk fruit, and Stevie I've all been fine with.
1: Yeah, yeah, I agree.
0: What about? Um, let's talk. Let's go deep down to the rabbit hole of exogenous ketones because that's super hot right now. And yeah, and honestly, I I don't know where I stand on that because like I did my my prep. I got down to three and a half percent body fat. And never once touched it. So I know you can get lean without using them, mm-hmm. um, and I've you know one of the arguments now is that if you're supplementing with exogenous ketones and the primary goal is to get leaner, it might minimize your body's own ability to you know produce ketones and and burn fat oxidation. So I don't know if if that's the case or, or what your take is on that.
1: Yeah, so you know, anytime you like, right now it's kind of it's a little bit tough to talk about in the keto community because like if for a lot of people like there's this divide of, of like this whole keto you have to do you know whole foods don't use any of these types of products and there's the people that are the other end of the extreme and use these products and don't follow a great ketogenic diet and when you fall in the middle what happens is is both sides end up wanting to crucify you but really that's where i fall is kind of in the middle on it um there's benefits to taking exogenous ketones and there's a you know, there's a lot of therapeutic benefits and a lot of research on the benefits of exogenous ketones, um, but when you talk specifically about weight loss, everybody likes to look at it as being black and white. Um, so, and and why that becomes difficult is because my personal take on it is, you know, if you're going into a training session and you take exogenous ketones before your training session. Yes, you might not have to burn as much fat during that training session because you are providing yourself with exogenous substrate. You know, It would be no different than if you were to eat a big bolus of fat before you train. If that's readily available, you might not have to burn as much fat in that training session. But if exogenous ketones are increasing your energy and they increase your ability to you know, work out more intensely, then they may help you burn more fat. Um, and even outside of that, there's a ton of research with like um, exogenous ketones being able to uh, increase like mitochondrial biogenesis, um, which is basically just like the creation of mitochondria in your and your, the you know it's it's creating more mitochondria in your body. And when you can do that, that increases your capacity to burn fat. So a lot of people want to look like you know even if you were to, to and it hasn't been looked at, but even if you were to measure fat burning and, and take exogenous ketones and see that. Acutely in the three hours you take them you don't burn as much fat. That doesn't mean that you're not making Physiological adaptations that allow for better fat burning long term. So my biggest thing with them is that I think that They're not necessary Um, They're not a requirement if you're doing keto, but they can be just like everything else we were talking about They can be a great supplement to a ketogenic diet depending on what your goal is Um, if you're trying to exercise more intensely They can probably help with that. You know, if you're looking for um, a way to increase like your mental acuity or your you know mental focus and all that stuff, they'll probably provide a lot of benefit with that. Um, But if you're looking to use them as like a replacement to following a ketogenic diet nutritionally, then then you know you're definitely not taking the right approach with them.
0: Yeah, I think I think the mistake people make is they they put too much emphasis on it, and uh, you know I mean. The whole theory of you can eat whatever you want, drink a drink, and then be in ketosis in 60 minutes, like that that kind of gripes me every time I hear it, you know?
1: Yeah. And, you know, and the reason why is because, like, it's just like what we talked about at the beginning of the show. It's like that they're not wrong in saying that it gets you into ketosis, but it's a difference between being in ketosis and being fat adapted. Exactly. Um, yes, you can take, the, like, 100%. I've tested it myself. You can take these products and have an increase in ketone levels in your blood, but, that does not mean that you are in ketosis if you're not following the diet. Um, but you know, one of the interesting things that these things can be used for, and I'm not a, a huge user of them. Like I use them, um, you know, every once in a while. Um, I've never been a regular user of them. But you know, one of the things I do think could be really beneficial is when you first start keto, they may be a great addition to help get you over the hump. Yeah. Um, you know, if you're somebody who's <laughs> insulin resistant or having a hard time producing ketones. Taking them may be something that, for, for one, it provides you with some ketones that might make you, you know, lower like your brain fog and reduce like, keto flu symptoms. But two, there's a lot of research out there showing that having increased blood ketone levels will help like, upregulate the transporters that are responsible for bringing ketones into the cell. So if you can, you know, if you first start keto, if you can get your ketone levels higher by taking massages ketones, you may be able to adapt quicker. And, you know, that's been something that if I like I never push them on anybody that I work with. But if somebody is interested in taking them, that's how I'll always um, kind of like in, in, well, that's how I'll kind of like segue it into it and tell them how they should be taking them is because, you know, using them as like a kind of an adjunct to get you through that adaptation period. Um, but, you know, like you said, it's, they're not a necessity, though.
0: I think they're indirectly. um good at getting through keto flu simply because they're all bound to minerals. Uh, you know, you get your sodium, potassium, um, calcium, which most people don't take in enough of when they're getting adapted. So by default you're gonna be getting more sodium and potassium and you're gonna that's gonna minimize the effects of keto flu as well.
1: Yeah, and that's exactly right. And that's why like um, sometimes when people they do take it and they, you know, talk about how great they they felt like during the adaptation period, that could be from the electrolytes because Like sodium – electrolyte deficiencies in particular sodium deficiencies in my opinion from what I've seen are one of the biggest reasons for like keto flu um, because there's so many like symptoms of having like sodium deficiencies which is very, very – it's almost a guarantee that it's going to happen when you start keto. Um, and so that's, yeah, like you said, that's another great way to get those, those in without having to just like pour a lot of salt on your food and stuff. It's kind of a good addition to the, the ketones.
0: Now, what kind of sodium, potassium, calcium are these, these, uh, exogenous ketones bound to? Cause I mean, like all sodiums aren't created equal, right? you get your, you know, iodized table salt, you got your pink Himalayan salt. Like, is there a difference in quality between the minerals that these exogenous ketones are bound to, or are they all the same across the board?
1: That's a great question. I don't know that I know the exact answer to that, but I know that when you look at these products, when they list on the back, they're just listing sodium as just NA as sodium. Yeah. Um, I, you know, that's a good question. I don't know what they're actually using. Um, If they're using any of the patented ones, like I know there's like, um, there's Go BHB, and I think there's some other like patented versions of, of the ketones. Any of those, I'm sure you could actually look up and see exactly what they're using. But if they're just using like, Beta-hydroxybutyrate bound to sodium, calcium, potassium. I don't know that you could even tell what type that they're using.
0: Yeah, it's huh. interesting. Not,
1: that's a good point. That's actually something I'm probably going to start researching now because I'm really curious about that. I didn't think about that.
0: Yeah, because I mean, I don't even know if this is possible, but if you had like a, an exogenous ketone bound to like pink Himalayan salt, that'd be the way to go. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's actually, you know, that's interesting. I, I know a couple of people that are, you know, pretty well rehearsed in uh, the in the biochemistry realm. Um, I'm not quite as well rehearsing that but I, actually something I want to ask is that'd be that's a really interesting thing that you bring up
0: well if you find anything out man that, that's going to be our business endeavor right there we're going to make an here exogenous ketone bound to pink salt <laughs> we might have to remove this portion of the segment so somebody doesn't steal our idea <laughs> yeah you heard it here first people <laughs> um, so what, what about uh, the difference between you know exogenous ketones in the form of you know the ketone salts versus the esters which are not really in full production mode now but they're making pretty good waves and, and getting out there
1: yeah so for a while one of the biggest things was that like the esters were not palatable at all um i had tried the esters previously and they were horrible i mean like you i think um was it i forget who the um the person that uh that was on like tim ferris podcast talking about how they taste like jet fuel peter Atiyah. um was peter T yeah yeah so peter T talking like A hundred percent. That's what they taste like. Like it's one of the worst tasting things that you can ever have. Um, but I have had some more palatable versions. Um, but the other problem with the esters is that they've always been so expensive. Um, like a shot of them has before, like, I mean the numbers for how much it costs to make them and then like what you'd have to sell them for was just astronomical. Um, what I've seen now is that, you know, there is some stuff showing that like the salts can, Um, increased levels of ketones, similarly to the esters. Um, There's a lot of back and forth right now between some of the top keto doctors out there um, or the keto researchers out there talking about how, you know, one might be more closely mimicking what is produced naturally in the body and the other one isn't. So maybe the one is safer than the other. Like the Um, racemic,
0: non-racemic L and DL.
1: Yep, that's exactly right. Yeah, I didn't know how deep we wanted to go down the rabbit hole on that. Um, but yeah, that's exactly right. And you know, the thing is, is they actually they've they've now been able to formulate the salts to be more closely mimicking the um, mimicking the esters. So it's it's really hard to say. There, there's kind of a big divide. But ultimately, the thing is, is, is the esters are still pretty expensive to take. Um, I'm pretty sure sure the last ester I tried, I was still told that it was like somewhere like a fifty to a hundred dollar shot.
0: So how, like if I was in the lab and you were making this ester, like what happens? Like what, what goes into play here to make an ester?
1: That's a good question. So I, I don't know the esterification process that well. Um, that would be another question I'd have to ask like one of my biochemistry buddies. Um, but yeah, it's something that I I researched at one point, but I don't know if I wouldn't consider myself to be an expert on being able to explain that. Um, but it's, it's different than, um, like when you when you talk about like the salts like those are they're binding the the BHB molecule to a carrier molecule um like the the sodium the the calcium potassium all of that stuff but i'm not 100 percent certain on how the esterification uh process works for those
0: that's interesting what yeah. about um like when you when you took yours what what did you notice in different like how'd you feel with it
1: um so when i took it i noticed that it was uh how much did you take a-
0: <sighs> That's
1: a good question. I want to say when I took it, because I've taken it, I've taken it a couple times. I think I've taken 10 grams of it before, and then I tried it recently at a conference, and I didn't, um, I didn't. It was a it was shot that was pre-made, so I didn't know the amount that was in it. Um, but I, what I noticed was it was uh, definitely a more robust change initially, but I didn't notice as long-lasting. But the other thing is that a lot of the exogenous ketone products out there that are salts are combined with other things like caffeine or things that may make those a little bit longer, la- the feeling a little bit longer lasting as opposed to the ester just being the ester. So, um, that was kind of what I noticed, but I did notice like, I mean, my ketone level shot through the roof. Um, they were turned back to baseline pretty quickly, but, um, I did notice kind of like that you feeling of euphoria from taking it.
0: Yeah. I, I uh, I took sixty grams, so pretty good, pretty good dose, and I noticed uh, like a, a warming sensation throughout my yeah. core. Did you Did you feel that way?
1: Yeah, definitely. It's it's um it's almost like I'm trying to, to think about. To be honest, it's it's not too much different than taking a shot of alcohol. Like it kind of reminds me of like if yeah. you take a shot of like whiskey or something. Like you get that You're feeling, feeling like again. You, yeah, yeah, and you know, not necessarily in a bad way, like not making you feel sick or anything. But you do. I de- I definitely do remember getting that feeling when I took it.
0: Huh. Yeah, I mean, my ketones went from like I think point four to four in like twenty minutes. It was crazy. Yeah,
1: yeah. And then, but then they, it, that's what I've noticed is that like I think like if you were to look at a graph, you know, this is just speculation, but I think you would see that like you know the the ester might go straight up more like this, but then the you know the um, the salts might be more like this, more of like a subtle change. But then eventually, yeah. there I think the peak is pretty similar on both of them. Um, but it also is probably dependent on the individual
0: yeah and probably i mean uh, there's so many variables at play like what you're doing with that time that you've taken it et cetera, et cetera. yeah um so what uh that's about all the supplements that i had to talk about Okay. is there any other that you recommend or, or use
1: yeah so uh, i guess the only other ones that i use um right now are other than like the adaptogens like i talked about um i take a a couple times a week i take a nighttime formula um where it's uh i take a blend of um it's magnesium threonate, which is supposed to be the, the type of magnesium that's a little more specific to like aiding in your sleep. Um, that, you know, a lot of times being deficient magnesium can be why some people report not getting great sleep on keto. Um, so I take a, a blend of that with, um, GABA and, um, a, a very low dose of melatonin. Um, but I only take that about three times a week. It's just, or two or three times a week. It's just when I'm trying to get like real deep sleep. Um, so that, that's kind of one of, that's t- three of my, uh, supplements I take in my night stack. Um, and I also add five HTP to it. Have you ever taken five HTP? Uh, no. So five HTP is, uh, it's a, um, precursor to uh, serotonin. So, um, it can be like, for the reason why I take it is that it can help with sleep. Um, it can kind of help with like relaxing you a little bit, um, giving you like, it can help get you in like a deeper state of sleep and stuff. So I take about 200 milligrams of that before I go to bed. Um, that was something that was recommended to me by um, uh, Sean Wells. Actually, recommended that taking that one to me. So that that that's kind of the other ones that I take. But other than that, I think that's that's pretty much the the primary
0: ones that I take. I'll check out the 5-HTP. I, I I've used melatonin, but I always feel so much more groggy the next day with melatonin, even if with low doses. Um, yeah. So I try and not do that so much. I've noticed though that when I'm keto, I don't need as much sleep. Like six hours is better than eight hours when I had carbs. But yeah. I've been. I used to have trouble falling asleep. The the leaner I get, the less I sleep for whatever reason. Um, mm-hmm. But I've not been having tr- trouble sleeping now. I've had I've had trouble waking up. I think it's because it's high protein. I'm much more tired in the mornings for whatever reason. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. That's um, that's something that I there's actually like a lot of reasons why you may require a lot less sleep on keto. Um, but for me, it's like a, I you know I work a little bit of a crazy schedule and I like to to work late at night. So I only take it like. I play basketball three days a week in the morning at like five in the morning, so I won't take it before that because I'll either miss my alarm at, at that time in the morning or I'll be too groggy to want to do anything so I'll only anytime I take like gabo or melatonin I'm taking it you know on a night where I can get a full eight hours of sleep um, and but you know same same thing though I've definitely noticed that like I, I don't require nearly as much sleep on keto that I used to
0: yeah that's good um how you doing on time I don't know what your schedules like
1: Oh, I'm good. Whatever you need, man. I'm here.
0: (laughs) All right. Sweet. I'd love to dive into, um, you play basketball. I'm a bodybuilder. I'd love to talk. I mean, there's a whole lot of research out there for endurance athletes using ketone. And I mean, that's pretty much undisputable. I think, I think, I mean, you start tapping into that greater fuel reserve and it just makes sense from an endurance perspective when it comes to, you know, hypertrophy and muscle growth. I'd love to kind of go into the weeds about what the science is showing, you know, as, as ketones, um, you know, are used for that? Because, like, I, I don't know near as much science as you do on it, so I'd love to just get your opinion. I know, like, you know, testosterone, precursor that's cholesterol. You know, cholesterol is likely going to be higher with ketones, uh, the ketogenic diet, because you're intaking more fat. So, in theory, you know, it makes sense you'd have more of that growth hormone. But what else from, like, a hypertrophy standpoint?
1: Yeah, so there's actually a lot of research out there showing, um, you know, before we go straight into muscle building we could talk about muscle sparing Um, muscle sparing is is one of the primary features of a ketogenic diet Um, it's kind of why you see people being being able to go pretty hypocaloric and still being able to maintain muscle mass while they're losing fat Um, so ketones themselves are actually able to there's research showing that they can actually prevent the breakdown of like leucine and other muscle proteins so you know, having uh, ketones available and being in a state of ketosis is going to make it so your body doesn't have to dip into those muscle proteins. um, And it's going to, you know, prevent you from losing muscle mass, you know, while you're you're going through like a dieting phase, which is one of the reasons why it's so great for somebody like yourself doing bodybuilding and and somebody that's dieting down. You know, if you have to go hypocaloric in your training and everything, it's going to make it so you don't lose a ton of muscle mass, which, you know, as being a natural bodybuilder, that can be a primary concern.
0: And real, real quick, one, one yep. of the biggest, you know, concerns I hear from other competitors as I was doing this was, you know, carbs are muscle sparing, carbs are muscle sparing. Yeah, carbs are muscle sparing, but I would argue that, you know, fat and ketones is even more muscle sparing.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, the biggest thing you have to consider when you do that is that you have a limited carb storage. So, you know, if you're dieting down on a show and everything, and, you know, most people what they do is they take their carbs down really low. So if you're getting your carbs down low and you don't have great glycogen stores and stuff, you're not you're going to have a much more limited availability of that compared to your fat stores which even as a lean individual, you're going to have, you know, a lean individual plus eating a ketogenic diet with a lot of exogenous fat, you're going to have plenty of substrate to produce ketones which can be muscle sparing. So that's kind of the reason why I think that they're better. Um, you know, yeah, carbohydrates could have that same effect, but you're going to have to eat them in abundance, which isn't going to be most optimal for what you're trying to do with your body composition. Exactly. Yeah. And then, you know, to, to go the other right, route now and talk about muscle building, it's difficult because there hasn't been much research showing, and this is why what you're doing is so interesting, there hasn't been a lot of research showing being in a calorie surplus on keto, um, which I don't necessarily think is crucial for hypertrophy on keto, because um, I've seen I've been in a calorie deficit and I've dexed and seen increases in muscle mass in myself in a in a calorie deficit. Um, but there's also research out there showing that ketones have the ability to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. Um, so you know, not only are they limiting the breakdown of protein, but they're also increasing muscle protein synthesis which is great because you know on kijank diet if you're going true keto and you're lower protein you may not be stimulating muscle protein synthesis um, from like the, the protein in your diet. So the problem is is there hasn't been much research to, to back it up. Um, there has there's been virtually none shown, uh, you know looking at people in, in a surplus. Um, so it's kind of more of a self-experimentation thing, but I can tell you like from even on like the kijank.com platform when we post stuff talking about like the muscle building effects of keto, and like we get really, really, really strong feedback from people who have been doing keto for a long time, talking about how they've seen tremendous gains in their muscle mass. Um, you know, is it going to be, you know, for for like somebody like yourself doing bodybuilding? Is it going to be as robust as as somebody who's taking you know testosterone or taking you know steroids and stuff? No, but for somebody who's doing things naturally, it can be a great way to maintain and build muscle mass.
0: And and I, I haven't had the ability to like just test this uh, throughout my whole process, but like my reasoning is that I mean, if you're eating carbohydrates, the insulin that's produced—I mean, insulin is an extreme growth factor, you know. So you're gonna you're gonna cause muscle growth with that. You're gonna—I mean, some people shoot up insulin just to grow muscle, you know. But you're gonna have fat growth as well. So I mean, everything grows with insulin—cancer cell growth. I mean, everything. Um, and correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but okay. with, with with ketones, with ketones, I mean. I'm, I'm building muscle, and I might not be building muscle at quite the same rate that I would with carbohydrates. But when right. I cut down, I'm going to be maintaining that. Whereas if I was eating a bunch of carbs and cut down, I'd have to tap in and lose some of that muscle. So over time, I feel like while I may not be gaining it as fast, I'm still trending upward at a faster rate than if I was to go up and down cycle it with you know carbs through a bulk and cut season.
1: Exactly. Yeah. No. Hundred percent. And that's. That's why I think that keto is is almost like the perfect couple with with bodybuilding. Um, it's just it's so hard because a lot of people, you know, in the bodybuilding space, they don't want to be as restricted. Um, and you know, obviously, when you start talking about you know getting and like you know taking drugs and stuff that can increase your muscle mass, diet doesn't become as important. Um, but for somebody who's like trying to do things naturally. Um, I think keto is the perfect storm for it because not only is it going to be great for maintaining leanness in your off season, um, it's going to allow you to, like you said, diet down and maintain or maybe even build muscle mass. Um, there's been a lot of stuff showing that being in a calorie deficit on keto isn't going to be as harmful to your um, metabolism as being in a calorie deficit on another diet. Um, there's also a lot of stuff showing that the, you know, typically when you diet, you see a big increase in your hunger hormones. Which is the reason why it's so hard to maintain weight loss because your hunger hormones are going crazy. But well, there's actually a lot of research showing that ketogenic diet attenuates that increase in hunger hormones. So it's kind of the perfect storm for you being able to come off of like a show prep and not be setting because you know most people come off of show prep and they're setting themselves up for rapid fat gain. Like it's it's almost inevitable. Yeah. Cravings are high, hunger's up, metabolism's down. Um, you know they're insulin resistant probably. So that that's that's a great way and then also when you talk about keto post competition um, like you were touching on earlier with like having fat for like hormone production um, there's a lot of research out there showing like bodybuilders you know their hormones just tanking post-competition so you know being on a ketogenic diet may also be able to help with the after-effects of a show so I think it's really the
0: perfect storm I I mean I agree completely that's that's why I'm set up to do this for the rest of my life but I mean like it's crazy because so many people in that niche they just want you know cycles are limited you know they're, they're, they're not patient so like yeah they might get on keto for like you know a month or two prior to competition day to lose some body fat but they're not even beginning to tap into the full potential of the diet and no. most people don't think in terms of what's the best thing for me over the course of the next five ten fifteen twenty years and i mean my way of thinking right now is like i'm, t- I'm 26 i'll, I'll be turned 26 this month I'm, I'm thinking if i stay keto continue to train hard continue to diet clean you know, I'll be freaking untouchable in 15 years, you know, and that's just kind of the way I'm going about it. So,
1: yeah, I mean, and like a lot of people like, you know, of course you can, you can diet down um, and you can get lean, you can do it through taking things or doing different things like you can do it without it. But when you talk about like sustainability and actually looking at your health, like one of the biggest things in the fitness industry is a lot of people have lost sight of that. Um, It's become more about aesthetics and not just about health. And that's kind of what I really like about keto is that you can have both. Yeah. Um. You don't have to. You don't have to sacrifice your health to to look good, and you don't have to sacrifice looking good for your health. Um. You can do both, and you know that's something that unfortunately, when you start looking at like social media and stuff on 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 um just on all these different platforms, you start seeing that that's almost been lost. Um. And that's why I think keto is so great.
0: Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, when if a competitor was to truly believe that not only would their performance benefit, but I mean, their health as well, I mean, it's just, there's no question about it, I mean, that's that's just the best alternative for sure.
1: Absolutely. Um,
0: Absolutely. What about, uh, do, you, do you know much about like, uh, you know, hormones as it relates to male and female because, I mean, I've got both male and female clients and they both tend to react much differently, so I'd, I'd love to get your take on, on how the differences, you know, compare there with keto.
1: Yeah. So, a lot of times, um, you know, for, for males at least, I've seen a lot of positive changes um, in hormones for males. Um, but one of the things that happens is the people that you'll see reporting like negative changes in their hormones are people that either weren't following it strictly or they were people who were um, doing like taking like a cyclic approach um, and, or, you know, do, doing taking some approach where they weren't being as you know, strict as they should have been. Um, I've seen great things from myself, from other people with, with hormones um, from doing keto. Now, females, one of the issues that comes into it is because, like, one of the reasons why you won't see a ton of research on females with this stuff is because, I mean, they change daily. You know, they're almost, like, physiologically, they're almost a different person every day with, with the fluctuations in their hormones. So it's hard to to study this stuff, but you start seeing, there's a lot of people that are using, like... Ketogenic diet and they're able to get pregnant and they weren't able to before or they were suffering from PCOS um, They were suffering from all these different things and they start seeing awesome stuff on keto and I think what tends to happen with females is that um, They start to get a little bit more balance in their hormones um, And they and they start not to see like, you know is like maybe their menstrual cycles start to become a little bit more balanced out. I've seen that with a lot of clients Um, but the problem is is a lot of females don't get that far because when they start, um, that drastic diet change can lead to a lot of hormone fluctuations and it can make things go a little haywire and then most women get either discouraged or a little freaked out and they quit. Um, I'm sure you've seen that with a lot of your clients too. Um, but it's just kind of one of those things like, you know, you, you got to stick with it because there's, there's a lot of anecdotal stuff out there about, you know, women who, tried for six years to get pregnant and they did keto for six months and, and next thing they knew they were able to get pregnant. Um, so I mean I think that it's, it's great for them but you know the thing is is the, the fluctuations in the hormones for, for women could be one of the reasons why um, it may be harder for a, woman, for a girl to get into ketosis and I know we've talked about that a little bit before um, about you know sometimes like you probably see with your female clients that you know getting into a state of ketosis is a little more difficult than men right.
0: Yeah, it takes a little bit longer and they don't tend to see the rapid weight loss as quickly because it's just simply taking longer for their hormones to regulate.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, and that's really nothing new. I mean, if you look at, you know, any diet, like, guys usually respond a lot better than women. Um, and like I said, that's just because, you know, they're, they're just different every day. Like, they have, you know, their cravings that they're having that, you know, for a guy might be attenuated just by getting in a state of ketosis. That might not happen for a girl because of fluctuations in their hormones. Um, there's there's a lot of things that can factor into that. So you know it can definitely be a little more difficult uh, when you first start out. But I think like the the hormonal benefits for a woman on keto are definitely robust.
0: Yeah, She can't stick with it. Yeah. Um, what about cholesterol? Do you know much about cholesterol as it relates to keto? Because I know, I mean. It, it seems to really, I mean, with keto and with any other diet, really, it's so much based off the individual. Like, my numbers have all improved. I'm probably going to get tested again at the end of this much just to, you know, keep a pulse on it. But, you know, a lot of people's their LDL will increase. But that's not necessarily indicative of a bad thing with keto if all other markers have improved.
1: Right. Yeah. So, one of the things, and like you said perfectly, it's it's different for everybody because I've seen both scenarios. Um, some people, you'll see their total to st- their total cholesterol go down. Um, on keto, and you'll see that it's uh, they're seeing an increase in HDL, a decrease in LDL. Sometimes you'll see total cholesterol go up, and while still seeing an increase in HDL and a decrease in LDL, it's just that the HDL is increasing to a greater extent, which is driving up the, the total cholesterol. Um, sometimes you do see an increase in LDL cholesterol, and I don't know the reason why that happens in some people. But one of the biggest things that people fail to consider is um, they're not looking at particle size when you do that. So VLDL, which is, um, it, it, which is a subparticle of LDL, is actually a better indicator um, of like atherosclerosis and all of these other like cardiovascular diseases. Um, that is what a lot of people, what I've seen in like Dr. Volek's research is that he'll see that like total cholesterol goes up. He'll see an increase in HDL, an increase in LDL, but a decrease in VLDL. Um, Which is a better indicator. So the the problem is, is if you go and get blood work done, VLDL is more expensive to test. And in fact, most times they don't even test LDL. What they test is they do um, total cholesterol, then they'll do HDL, and then they'll just subtract the two um, because it's more expensive for them to do that. Um, So it definitely is, it depends on the person. Um, I've seen all three of those scenarios um, where, you know, I've seen each, each one of those happen. Um, One of the theories out there also on why LDL increases um, is that the body is trying to maintain a certain ratio of HDL to LDL. So while your HDL increases on keto, um, your LDL has to increase as well. So you do see that sometimes too, um, but, you know, that doesn't necessarily—it's not as— those readings aren't as bad as what they used to be back in the day when they used to just think, you know, total cholesterol is high, that puts you at a high risk for, you know, heart attacks and stuff. That's definitely not the case.
0: Yeah. I I don't remember what lecture it was I listened to. Basically, they were saying that, you know, LDL becomes like energy transporters. um, And then as you're, you know, eating a higher fat ratio, you have more energy to be transported. So it, by default, is going to be increased. Yeah. Um, Which makes sense, I guess.
1: No, it definitely makes sense. I mean, that's and that's why you might see the big difference too. Is that not everybody goes, you know, as high fat on keto. Some go higher than others. Um, some people, you know, maybe utilizing more stored fat for ketone production versus you know the dietary fat and everything. So that, that all that stuff plays a role. Um, but I think getting blood work is definitely one of the best things that you can do because it's hard to know what's going on in your body without getting that done. Um, and you know, there's definitely different ways to optimize your ketogenic diet based on those results. So you want to always be getting that stuff looked at. So you're not just kind of just, you know, searching in the dark for
0: what you should do. So if somebody tests and they, they have an elevated LDL, what are some other markers to look for to kind of like ease the, the stress levels and anxiety? Like if they have, you know, more of the, uh, the fluffy, larger LDL particles and I always tell them to look for C-reactive protein too.
1: Yeah, that's a big one too. Uh, C-reactive protein is great, but I think that if you're looking at your HDL and you're looking at your VLDL, those are going to be important. So if you if you're seeing that VLDL is is going in the right direction and HDL is going up, um, the, that's going to help you better be, have a better indication of what's going on rather than just looking at LDL. Because um, like you said, that number's you know it may have to go up based on the changes in the diet. But C-reactive protein is also a great one. Um and I think like looking at like different like you know looking at any markers of like inflammation can also be um beneficial because you know that's kind of that's a lot of those things go hand in hand and you know if if you're doing the ketogenic diet well you should be reducing
0: inflammation so that's something to consider too. Yeah, for sure. So much so much interesting science coming out man it's exciting. <laughs> it's exciting. Yeah, absolutely. Um well I could literally talk to you all long, man it's, it's been an hour and 25 minutes in thus far though so I might might kind of hear for anybody that doesn't want the three-hour version,
1: right? (laughs) Absolutely, Um, no. And you know, if you ever want to hop on and do another one, um, you know, I'd be more than happy to come
0: back. Oh, for sure, man. We got we got all kinds of stuff to talk about. So, where where can people go to find out more about you?
1: All right, so yeah, so I have um, you know, like I said earlier, I'm the director of content for ketogenic.com. So I have um, you know, we have social media. We on Instagram and Facebook. We have at ketogenic.com, and then we have our website ketogenic.com. Um, and then I also have a personal page, which is the ketologist. Um, you know, I, I mostly just on Instagram for that one. So it's just at the ketologist. Um, so that's, that's pretty much, and you know, on there there's, um, I have access to my email. So I always tell people, um, if you have questions or want to reach out about anything, you know, feel free to drop it in there. Um, I'm not always the quickest to respond, but I'll, you know, I'll try to get to everybody's
0: stuff as quick as I can. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Well, Chris, man, always a pleasure. I appreciate learning something every single time I talk to you
1: alright well thanks a lot for having me today Robert
0: absolutely man take care